this is Carl Bastian coming to you from Kidology.org, and you are listening to Kidmen Talk, although you probably already know that. Hey, this is the 90th episode, and this episode is actually part three of an awesome three-part series. That's right, we have gone over our awesome God. We have talked about our awesome opportunity, and this podcast is all about the awesome community that we have in children's ministry. You know, God did not intend you to be a Lone Ranger or Rambo or even a superhero swooping in to save the day in your ministry. He designed us for relationship. The essence of salvation is a restoration of relationship with God. And he wants us to enjoy our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our fellowship of believers, and together as the body of Christ to do ministry. So I hope this podcast will encourage you, and I hope you will make some concrete and specific decisions and plans as a result of what you are about to hear, because you were designed to minister within community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this message that I gave at the awesome Kidman Conference in Canada this fall as we talk Kidman. Let's get on to our topic as we wrap up this awesome conference. Was it an awesome conference? It was an awesome conference. We have talked about our awesome God and how ridiculous and silly it is and yet so natural for us to get stressed out and overwhelmed with our ministries or even our lives. And that's only because we lose sight of our awesome God. We forget just how awesome he is. And we talked about how David did not compare himself to the giant. He compared the giant to his God. And suddenly that giant did not look so big anymore. And then this morning we talked about the awesome opportunity that we have in order to fulfill the reason that God made us. Because he made each and every one of us for a purpose. When he thinks about us, he thinks of plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. But that promise comes with a condition that we seek him with all of our heart. Well, this afternoon, we're going to talk about our third awesome thing, and it's the awesome community that we have with each other, with our families, and with God to do these awesome things because we're not intended to do any of this alone. And so our theme this afternoon is that God works in and through relationships. He is in the people building business, not the ministry building business. You know, I got to be on staff once at a really big church and I had a big budget and I got to build a big kids church set and it was really cool. But you know what? I have to be really honest. The ministries that were the most effective and the most personally satisfying were when I was at a church plant in the inner city of Chicago. In fact, the kids building, similar to your church here, was a mile away from the campus. And it was next to a bar. And I remember on Sunday mornings going in early to clean up all the beer bottles and the broken glass from the bar next door so that you know wouldn't look like the kids were going into a place where we were drinking and smashing bottles. In fact, one Sunday morning, the teenage boys, I was over children and youth, the teenage boys came in with this cardboard cutout of a woman <laughs> that the bar had thrown out. 
And she was a scantily clad um, gal, and she had her little pose, and, of course, she was holding on a, on a beer. And they said, oh, Pastor Carl, we want to put this in the youth room. Don't worry. We're going to fix it. So they went to the back shelf and got one of those Bibles that break my heart where the cover's ripped off. And they took that cover, and they put it in her hand over the beer bottle and said, now she can be in our room. <laughs> and it was hard because as, a, as a, just a person, as a man, as a human, I really could laugh. But... Of course, I was the youth pastor, so I had to say, no, that's terrible. <laughs> Take that out to the dumpster and throw her out. Well, we'll pray for her. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be praying for her. <laughs> but, but it was fun to do ministry with, with hardly any resources. And I've been blessed to get to travel around. I tell you, I've been to buildings that would make you drool. And yet I've been to places where they had nothing but cardboard and crayons and very simple. And yet I've seen God working. God doesn't, we don't need all that fancy stuff. Now, if you can afford it and you get someone to buy it for you, great. We should use every tool that we can to reach kids. But we must not mistake that we don't need them. Ministry's not about the facility. It's not about the props. It's not about the technology. It's about the kids. And it's about having relationships with the kids. All we need is that. All we need is the simplest of things. See, God is not worried about building your ministry. He's passionately committed to building you and others up through you. When something falls short, we don't get the numbers that we wanted or things go wrong and we think, oh, this was a disaster. We need to change our thinking to go, what did God accomplish? Because God never messes up. Sometimes he wants smaller numbers because he wants a more intimate setting. Sometimes he wants something to go wrong so that we'll trust him and we'll see him or we'll learn or we'll grow. God never blows a church event or a ministry endeavor. It's always successful. We just don't always get to see it because it may be something that happened in the heart and life of someone that we may never see. That's why heaven has to be an eternity because it's going to take that long for us to reconnect and to meet people and to hear stories, and to actually find out the fruit of our efforts here on earth. It's going to take a long time. So God just said, I'll give you all of eternity to fellowship and to share stories and to celebrate. And I think our minds are going to be blown by the things that God accomplished in the time that we had here. I have a kid's crew that I love. Every ministry I've had, I've had kids who kind of ran the kids' ministry. And I called them my kids' church crew or my KC crew or my outpost crew. Always came up with a fun name. And we have a theme verse And I want you to learn their theme verse. So if you can, I want you to stand up because we're going to do some motions. You can do them sitting down if you have to be sitting, but don't be lazy. If you can stand, stand up. It's Romans 12, 11, but it's never, so never, never be lacking in zeal. For zeal, you got to show some zeal. Woo! Never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual, that's like a little dove going up, uh, fervor, which is like a fever. You're sick on God. Your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. All right, let's try that again. Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That's our theme verse. We, you can sit down. I'll make you do it again in a minute just to keep you awake. We want to have zeal. I love that verse because I want them to have zeal. So just doing what I ask is not enough. If I say, hey, I need such and such, or we need to fold up the chairs, I don't want just chairs folded. I want chairs folded up with zeal and with fervor and with passion. 
And I give bonus points in our little point contest because kids love points and they love incentives. But that's what I want to drill into them more than anything else is to serve God with zeal and with passion and with fervor because that's what it takes to serve God and that's what's most rewarding. So I love acronyms. Do you know what an acronym is? I love acronyms. I love them so much I made an acronym for acronym. An acronym means a crazy riddle of nuggets yielding meaning. Pretty good, huh? So uh, how many of you are, are, are PC users, Windows? You do know what Windows stands for, right? Will install needless data on whole system. Uh, but just to be fair to us Mac people, or Macintosh stands for most applications crash. If not, the operating system hangs. You know, cars have acronyms, right? Like Ford is found on road dead or fix or repair daily. Uh, Fiat is fix it again today. Uh, I had a Corvair in high school, a convertible Corvair. I was very cool. At least I thought I was. And I finally decided it stood for a completely outrageous racing vehicle after innumerous repairs. Of course, we all know what BMW stands for, right? Break my windows. Uh, but I love acronyms. So we're going to take the word zeal and we're going to make it into an acronym of four things that we need to succeed in our Christian life and to embrace the community, the awesome community we have. So let's review the verse again. All right, everybody stand up. Here we go. Here we go. All right, Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. All right, you can have a seat. So what's the Z going to stand for? The Z stands for zero in on what matters most. See, we get so busy with ministry. And do you know that ministry, is it even mentioned in the Bible? I don't think it is. Ministry is not what is most important. It's very important. It's, it's great. It's awesome. But it's not what's most important. Have you ever heard the, the story of the, the analogy that this, of the big rocks? I don't know if it's a true story. Things go around on email. You never know. But it can still be a good story. But the story goes that this professor rolled into his classroom a huge glass plexiglass clear box open on the top on a cart. And then he brought in a wheelbarrow full of, of boulders, big rocks. And he asked for a volunteer in the audience, and the audience member came up, and he said, fill this box with the rocks. And so they, he put as many as he could in there, and he finally said, okay, is it full? And he said, yes. And he said, then not so fast. He had another wheelbarrow brought in. It was full of stones. And he asked another volunteer to, to fill in the cracks around the boulders with as many stones as she could. And so she worked really hard, and she jiggled it and shook it and poured rocks in until it was completely full. And he said, is it full now? And they said, I think so. And he says, not so fast. He had another wheelbarrow brought in full of gravel. And he got another volunteer to start pouring gravel into the box. And it was amazing how much gravel would fall down between the boulders and the stones until finally it was smooth on top. And he said, now is it full? They were starting to get suspicious. We're not sure. Then he had someone bring in a wheelbarrow full of sand and poured it with sand. And it just went through and through and through until finally it was smooth on top. And they thought, surely it's full now. And he said, no, bring in some water. They came with pitcher after pitcher after bucket. And they kept pouring water till finally it was full and it overflowed. And he said, what is the point of my object lesson? And one of the students raised his hand and goes, I know, I know, I know, I got it. He said, what is it? He goes, there's always room for more. <laughs> he said, no, wrong answer. He said, the object lesson, the point is, 
if you don't put the big rocks in first, they'll never fit later. Our lives are full of gravel and sand and water. And the big rocks are the things that matter most. It's our relationship with God, not our work for him, our relationship with God, our spouse, our kids, our relationships, our community. But what happens is life gets so full that we just don't have time for that. But what we have to do is put the big rocks in first. And that's hard to do. But it takes a matter of self-discipline and effort. You know, it's funny. If your tooth breaks and you're in excruciating pain, what happens? You go to the dentist. doesn't matter what was on your calendar. doesn't matter what you were going to do that day. When an emergency happens, boom, you're in that dentist chair, right? But otherwise, we don't worry about the dentist. Maybe for checkups and, you know, hopefully some once in a while. I hope you go occasionally. But we, but, but we schedule it to when it fits. But when the emergency happens, we do it. You know, in my church, we had staff meetings on Tuesday afternoon. And no matter what was going on in my week, whether it was VBS or how crazy I was, I had to be in that staff meeting at 2 o'clock every week. Sometimes I was running in, whew, just got here. Then I try to look calm like, you know, I've been waiting for a while. We can do that with things that are external, but why can't we do that with the big rocks? Why do we wait for crisis? You need to make a list of what the big rocks are in your life and intentionally schedule them into your life. I don't know if you're familiar with the four quadrants thing. Um, you make a little graph with four boxes and on the top. You just put what's urgent and what's not urgent. And the, ne- and the rows are important and not important. And I would challenge you to take a week. And as you do different tasks, you decide which box those tasks fit in. You know, email. <laughs> it's urgent. You got to always answer as soon as it But it's not really that important, right? And so those things are in the third quadrant, the third one down. Maybe social media. Yeah, that's urgent, right? Because you want to reply right away. Ding! Oh, I, ju- I just got a, uh, a like or a reply or someone I, I favorited just commented. And it becomes urgent. But it's really not that important. There's things that are urgent and are important, such as emergencies and deadlines. But even those deadlines usually were, for a while, they were not urgent but important. But because they were not urgent, we didn't do them until they became urgent. Quadrant four are things that are not urgent and they're not important. And that's, if you're looking for margin in your life, sometimes you need to figure out what are some of those quadrant four things that are not important and not urgent, but you give a lot of time to them. Maybe television. But see, the key to life is to figure out what are those quadrant two things? What are those things that are never urgent, but you would say are important? Talking to your parents, spending time with your kids, going on vacation. There's a lot of things, reading your Bible, praying. It's a lot of things that are never urgent, but they're dreadfully important. I have a friend who's a children's pastor, and years ago, he was um, at a big church in Phoenix, Arizona. And he had a lot of staff and a lot of volunteers, and he was just doing amazing things for God. And when I was at a low point in my life and was kind of hitting a wall, and I hate the phrase burnout because I loved everything I was doing, but I reached a point where I realized I could no longer keep up the illusion to myself that I was at a breaking point. A lot of people around me had figured it out, but I had a deaf ear where they tried to warn me. So when I finally reached that breaking point and I started asking guys for help, Lenny shared the story with me and gave me permission to share it with others. And then on Kidology, there's an area called the online training. And the first online training lab is called First Things First. And I share this story in there. But in the midst of his busy life one time, he heard a knock on his office door at the church. And he said, yes, yes. And he heard this strange voice. It was like a deep voice 
And it said, Pastor Lenny, Pastor Lenny, can I talk to you? And he thought, who in the world? That is the weirdest. I don't even recognize that voice. He's like, sure, I'll be right there. So he came to the door. When he opened it, it was his, his son, a young boy. They lived nearby, and he had come over to the church to see his dad. And he said, hey, what, why, did you, why were you using that weird, deep voice? And his son said, well, I thought maybe if you thought I was one of your volunteers, you'd have time for me. Oh, he felt terrible. He says, well, well, what do you want? He says, well, Dad, I maybe just want to fly a kite with you. Well, guess what Lenny did? He canceled all those appointments the rest of the day. They went out to a store. They bought a kite, and they spent the rest of the day flying the kite. And, and, he, and he, he felt like, man, this was overdue. The next morning, he was working, and he heard a little noise outside, and he looked, and a little piece of paper slid under his door. And he went up and grabbed it, and he sent me a scanned copy of it. And it was a picture drawn by his little boy, and they were flying a kite. And he said, it was interesting, the kite was shaped like a heart in the picture, even though in real life it had been a normal diamond kite. And he wrote, Dear Dad, I love you. You're the best. And I love you so much, I would even die for you. Lenny was crushed because he realized that he was neglecting his son. Do you know what Lenny did? He resigned his church. And he told me he carried this note in his wallet every day for decades. He had it folded up in his wallet as a reminder. He felt like he did not deserve to be a pastor until he had won back his son. Well, when I met Lenny and he shared the story with me, this was no longer in his wallet. In fact, he had to scan it and mail it to me later because he pulled out of his wallet the new note that replaced it. And he said, when I turned 50, my son wrote me this note. And I just want you to read this note where he says, Dear Father, I hope you have a wonderful birthday. You certainly deserve it. Dad, there's no words to say the things I would like to express in this letter, but I'll do my best. Through the 23 years that I have been alive, you have had a profound influence on who I am and the way that I perceive life. And I underlined, I cannot thank you enough for not just speaking the truth, but living it. That is the difference. Many parents go through life living a double standard and expect their children to do as they say, not as they do. I'm very blessed to have a father who genuinely loves God. And you can read the rest of that. When he got that note from his son, unsolicited on his 50th birthday, he said, I've done it. I have completely changed my impact on my son. And guess what? He's a children's pastor again. He's back in ministry because he feels like his first ministry, he succeeded. And so I was a dad of a six-week-old baby at the time that I was talking to Lenny, a few months old. And he said, Carl, you have the opportunity while Luke is this young to avoid the mistakes that I made. And that's why I asked if I could share that story with him. Number one, we've got to zero in on what matters most. I shared last night, for those of you who were here last night, I'm just going to repeat it real briefly. I came up with the phrase eventually where I said, I no longer make time for my family. And whenever I hear people say, well, I make time for my family. If, if I know them well enough and I won't offend them, I, I try to pull them aside and challenge them and say, at least for me, what I learned is that when I made time for my family, it meant they weren't first. It meant I was living for, for God and working for God from morning till night. And then I carved out time for them. And that's so wrong. My life is supposed to be my family. And I carve out time to serve God. And I asked last night, how many people... Have their, has had their family have to sacrifice because of church. And of course, every hand goes up. 
And then I asked, but how many times has the church suffered because of your family? That's the way it's supposed to be. So our Z in zeal is that we need to zero in on what matters most. All right, we have another letter. And the letter that next is, but before we do it, you got to stand up. Here we go. Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. All right, you can have a seat. The E is to encourage others. We need to get the focus off of ourselves. When we focus on ourselves, we get discouraged and we get down. But you know what? If you turn the focus on others, suddenly your problems don't look so big. Because when we're self-centered, we, 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 we're just focusing on that. I mentioned last night too, everybody's going through something, right? And the more you start to discover what other people are going through and become a person that people turn to for prayer and counsel and advice, you suddenly realize, man, I'm not going through anything. I'm almost embarrassed to share what I'm going through because so many others are going through other things. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, and yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. He's describing the person that's working hard. They're doing all those things, but they don't have community. And finally, why am I doing this? I have money. I have success. I might have notoriety. But inside, I feel empty. See, Jesus, uh, by the way, do you know what Jesus' favorite candy bar is? I told the people yesterday in the lab, God's favorite candy bar, it's Almond Joy. Because the Bible clearly says that Jesus came to bring Almond Joy. But it says here, Why did I deprive myself of enjoyment? If you're not enjoying ministry, that's when I finally realized that something was wrong and I was out of balance because I was no longer enjoying serving God. I mean, I was the happiest, go-lucky, most entertaining and funny children's pastor, but inside I was like, man, I'm not even enjoying this anymore. Like, I wanted to quit, but I'm not good at anything else. (laughs) And I was like, what do I do? But Jesus said, I came to make your joy complete. So, Solomon goes on and gives the secret. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I love that. What is your triple cord? Do you have at least one or two friends? You may need to think about and pray through your friends and say, would you be a triple cord with me? Share this passage with them and say, I need at least two people who I can share anything to. And you won't throw me to the curb. You, you, I, you know, I, I have some really good friends in my life. And a lot of my friendships, they start with, oh, they love kinology and they, they want to meet the kinologist, you know. And so we become friends. We meet at a conference. My objective, just as Carl, is as quickly as I can to get them unimpressed with me. I'm like, they need to know the real Carl. They need to know that I, I'm not all they might think that I am. And I'm so blessed to have some of these friends in my life. Now, guys, it's, it's hard for us. Women, you guys have it so much better. You're naturally relational. We can learn from you. I mean, good grief. When women go to the bathroom, they say, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. Anyone want to come with? <laughs> can you imagine if a man said, 
Hey, I'm going to the bathroom. You want to come with me? No. So, guys, we have to work at this. We don't like sharing our feelings. We like to be tough and in control and and impenetrable and undefeatable. And so you have to find creative ways. So uh, one of my friends taught me a really fun thing that we do. Because, you know, if, if I were to text you in the middle of the day, just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. Okay. Thanks. I mean, we struggle with that. And yet we should be thinking about our friends and we should be praying for them. So uh, a few of my friends, we came up with an alternative. See, I'm going to do it right now. We do something called Siri Roulette. This is my friend, Josh. I'm going to do a Siri Roulette. I want to know I'm thinking about him. I'm talking about him, actually. Here it goes. See, Siri has a hard time with that. So she thinks I said, I'll bless you, my hula Chicago, and we go get you to boot up at you about the Bible. (laughs) So when my friend Josh or Stanley or Patrick get a nonsense text from me, They know I'm thinking about them. And I'm going to leave this here in case Josh replies. (laughs) And it's just something that's worked for me. Because we need to get our focus off ourselves and on to others. So the Z is we need to zero in on what matters most. And the E is we need to encourage others. Well, now we're going to do the letter A. So everybody stand back up. Here we go. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The letter A. This is a big one. This is a hard one for us in ministry. The A is abandon busyness. Abandon busyness. Do you know in 1930... An economist by the name of John Maynard Keynes wrote a book, a big report. He was very concerned because technology was exploding and there was innovation going on and there were kitchen appliances being made and, all, and you know factories were getting machines. And he asked a very important question, wrote a whole paper to this day. People are still talking about it. You can find it on Google. But his premise was, how will we keep busy when we have only 15 hours of work a week. He projected that because of the advances of technology, our work weeks were going to get so short that we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. Was he right? No. (laughs) In fact, it's almost amazing. The more efficient and the more productive we have become, as productivity has increased, we have gotten busier. Because we believe we can do so much more. In ministries, it's hard because pastors used to always have admins. And now in a lot of churches, say, you don't need an admin. What do you need an admin for? You can do it all yourself because you got mail merge and you got church database and you've got automatic phone calling. And there's all this technology. We've gotten busier and busier. In the book, The Good and the Beautiful God by James Smith, there's a story about John Ortberg. You may have heard of him. When he first got his job at a big church, he got hired as a senior pastor of a mega church. He was a little stressed out. He thought, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. He'd had experience. He, he was gifted. God had used him in the past, but this was going to be the biggest job he ever had. And so he wasn't well-known at the time. So he reached out to a well-known pastor named Dallas Willard. I'm so glad to finally have these names. And he says, is there any chance 
that I can have an appointment with you. Because Dallas was a pastor of, of a very large church. And John wanted to make sure that he could learn whatever he could about, you know, how to survive and thrive with so much responsibility under him. And Dallas gave him the appointment. And they got together. And John was there with his, with his legal pad and a pen. And he was ready just to soak in as much as he could. And he said, okay. And Dallas said, number one, he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So John wrote down, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Okay, what's next? And here's what Dallas said to him. There is no next. Just do that and you'll be fine. John was a little annoyed. He had, he had had this whole appointment and he wanted to get all this stuff and the guy gave him one thing to do. But one thing that's pretty stinking hard to do. When I read that, I made a bunch of wallpapers for my computer with cool mountains and you know, beach scenes and stuff. But I put the text in the middle in a cool font. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. When we're busy, we don't have time for others. Our increased productivity has actually made life harder. And we don't have time. And we, If we're honest, we know we're working and someone comes to our door, whether it's someone from church or it's our spouse or it's our kid, and we're like, yeah, it's hard. And it means we've got to turn some things away. But if we don't ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life, we will implode. We will eventually burn out. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We need community. We need those relationships. We need to not just schedule free time, but schedule enough that, you know what, we have margin. I got to tell you, as someone who's been diligently working on that, as a recovering workaholic for the last decade, I'm finally really enjoying life. So Z is we need to, on what matters most, the E is, and the A is, abandon busyness. You've got to, and, and it says ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life because it's hard. And you have to be ruthless about it. You have to have people mad at you because of what you said no. But I find a side, I'd rather have my boss and customers and coworkers hurt and angry than my wife and my son. I had to choose. There's a great book by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat. Sounds like a terrible title. But the whole point of this little book is you have to cheat somebody. You cannot keep everyone happy. So you need to choose who you're going to cheat. And cheat the people that, that can be cheated. And don't cheat on the ones that can't be cheated. All right, we're up to our last letter. Are you ready? All right, everybody stand up. Here we go. Here we go. It's like kids' church. i got to keep you moving. Romans 12, 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Final letter, L. You can probably guess what the first letter is. It's love Jesus. Love Jesus. I know, it's like Sunday school, right? That's like the answer to everything. Love Jesus. But it is. Jesus did not save you to cause you to work for him. He has a purpose for your life, yes, as we talked about. But you weren't saved for that reason. That's an outgrowth. You know, I love my little boy, and he loves to do stuff with me. I like washing the car. It's a nice outside thing. And anytime I want to wash the car, Luke wants to help. Dad, I'll help you. Uh, Okay. But I let him. Even though I have to wash the car twice when he's done because of all the dried soap and smears and things. But why do I let my son wash the car with me? Because I love him. And it's the relationship. It's not because he's any help. 
He actually hinders the job. But I love washing the car with him because it's time together. And we laugh and we splash and we squirt and we're soaked at the end. The car's still dirty. It's probably worse. But we had a great time. And I don't let him know, but I just go through the drive-thru later. <laughs> and just pay the $8 or whatever for the, for the professional car wash. But folks, you know what? Our service to God is exactly the same. God does not need our help. When we say, God, I'll, I'll be a pastor, I'll be a Sunday school teacher, I'll be a... He's like, okay, sure. And, but he loves it. He loves working with us. He wants us to laugh with him, play with him, squirt him, have a great time. The car will get sort of washed. The ministry will get sort of okay. He'll probably have to fix some things and redo some things that we don't even know. He has to do them in the hearts of people. And you know what? He does it because he loves us. He wants to spend time with us. The same reason I let Luke wash my car is the same reason. You see, we're not working for God. We're working with God. Otherwise, we're working alone. We have this awesome community, and we need to tap into it. Our family, our friends, and the fellowship of believers. Let me give you one last verse from Galatians chapter 6. I love this passage, verse 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So it's decision time. Family, friends, and fellowship. How can you better prioritize your family? Are you willing to stop making time for your family and start making time for work? It may be that you need to think through what some big rocks are with your kids, and they don't have to be in the home. They, they can be grown. You may not even have a great relationship with them. And you might go, well, I blew it. It's too late for me. You know, they're all gone. No, it's never too late. It wasn't too late for you, was it? And God reached out to you. There, it's never too late to say, what are some big rocks, and schedule them. In fact, before you go home and, and life gets busy and you forget the conference, I'd get your calendar out and schedule some big rocks. Schedule a day off. Call in sick if you have to. Schedule some time with some family. Write some, some, quarter two, some quadrant two things. Maybe you need to take someone out for ice cream. Maybe you need to take a day off. Maybe you need to... God, the Holy Spirit, I can try and make up stuff, but the Holy Spirit will have no problem telling you what those things are. What about friends? It takes intentionality. And that's why I pursue friendships. Let's see if, if Josh has replied to me yet. I don't know if he has. Uh, nope, not yet. And lastly, fellowship. Be a part of this network if you're local. Form your own network. If you're a young children's pastor, find, I shouldn't say older, find a more experienced one and say, will you mentor me? Will you be my friend? If you're an older one, don't coast. Find a younger one. Find a newbie. Find a green thumb and pour into them. I'm so grateful for friends who poured into me when I was a green thumb and didn't have a clue what I was doing. You need those people. But most importantly, make what is most important to God most important to you. And that's people. God loves people. That's all ministry is. It's not our program. There's no brochure. There's no logo. It's just people. And if you make that your passion, it's going to be awesome. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for these awesome people.
Lord, you are an incredibly amazing God. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. And you, O Lord, are exalted as head over all. That's how David said you are an awesome God. And Lord, you give us this awesome opportunity. You created each of us for a reason. And Lord, let us evaluate our success only the way you do. Do we follow what you have asked us to do? And Lord, if our yoke is feeling heavy, remind us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to have the power and the boldness and the guts and the tenacity to cast off what you are not putting upon us. And Lord, I just ask that we would just reach out to our family and our friends and our fellowship of believers and that we would embrace the awesome community that we have, that we would not be lazy about this, but Lord, that we would make our primary passion just to love people. And yes, Lord, we're going to do it through programs and through church and and through all these amazing things, but may we never confuse the means with the goal. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And that concludes our awesome series. I hope you've been encouraged by our awesome God, the awesome opportunity we have, and the awesome community. And I hope this podcast made a difference in your life. Hey, if you find this podcast helpful, please take that little bit of time to reach out and let me know on Twitter at Kidologist or at Kidman Talk or email me directly at carl at kidmantalk.com. And if you find Kidology beyond the podcast to be a help and a resource to you, make sure that you support our ministry as a member. It's very affordable and the wealth of information and resources available to you will blow your mind. Well, until next time, this is Carl when again, we will talk Kidman.